So we're in a series called One Kingdom Indivisible, and it's a call to unity during a season of political and social division. We've been listening to the story of God's people that's told throughout the Bible, and we're going to remind ourselves that being allegiant to Jesus Christ and his kingdom requires us to live a certain way, and it's the way of love and of unity. And it's a way that's often neglected during times of crisis and stress and fear. Last week, we reminded ourselves that we were created to be a blessing to others. So let's talk a little bit more about what that means. Let's talk about blessing here at the, at the beginning. The Hebrew word for bless or blessed or blessing is the word baruch. Everybody say baruch. Good. Nice job. It's, a, it's kind of a versatile word. It's used a lot of different ways in scripture. God blesses people. People bless people. People can return bless God. And you can bless things like words or animals or crops or food. In Hebrew poetry, in places like Psalms and Proverbs, the word blessed is an adjective that can mean happy or fortunate. Psalms 1.1 says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. This word has multiple uses in scripture, but at the heart of it is this concept of God's good. So when we read uh, this, this blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you, it expresses a desire for God's good to be present in someone's life. Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible says a blessing is a relational marker signifying the existence of some sacral, legal, or social relationship. Blessing is a performative utterance or a speech act that brings good upon someone or something in contrast to cursing. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. I think that part of the definition helps. Blessing someone is the opposite of cursing them. Let's talk about curses for just a minute here. In ancient Rome, if you were angry with somebody and you wanted the gods to exact revenge on your behalf, a common practice would be to create a curse tablet. You would take a thin piece of metal and you would scratch onto it the identity of the person that you want to curse and the offensive thing that they did to you and also the consequence that you'd like them to suffer. And a lot of these curse tablets have been recovered by archaeologists so we know what kinds of things people were cursing each other for back then. One of them found was from a man named Dosimedes, whose curse tablet requests that whoever stole his gloves should lose both their mind and their eyes. Yikes! He was serious about his gloves. One lady had a bronze bowl stolen from her, and her curse tablet asks that the bowl kindly be returned and that it be filled with the blood of whoever stole it. Again, yikes! That's pretty serious. It was a recent podcast convention, and the host asked the audience to write down their own modern-day curse tablets. And here's what some of the folks came up with. I have a very nice curse here from Dennis. No, it's a curse upon Dennis. Upon Dennis. Sorry, Dennis. It's important to get that straight, isn't it? Um, for the offense of they know what. May How their... can you be so coy? That is unfair on everybody in this room and you know it. Uh, it says, may their mouth be burned by pizza and their content buffer forever. <laughs> this was uh, upon David for dumping me by text and saying that my writing is basic. May their tweed be eaten by moths and their social skills become increasingly awkward. I wish to visit curse upon the guy ahead of me on the plane for the offense of reclining too far. May their shoulders and neck be forever not able to rest on a supportive surface and their knees feel vaguely compressed. One about Costco. You have Costco in, in the UK? We, we have Costco. 
treating me like a criminal for not having a membership. May your long lost son turn up in the shop for a reunion and then, as he's not a member, obviously, furiously be turned away, never to be seen again. <laughs> and their hearts be forever broken. <laughs> They're pretty funny. And this may seem like a fun, harmless way to blow off some steam when you're mad at somebody. And you might say, after all, Jacob, it's better than actually going and hurting the person that wronged you. Maybe. But I'm kind of concerned with the resurgence today of the habit of cursing, of writing somebody off. We curse each other on social media. We curse our Christian brothers and sisters behind their backs sometimes. We curse those who don't share our political views. We curse political candidates themselves who have different ideas about which decisions are the best ones to make. Why are we seeing more and more cursing among the people of God who were given the responsibility of blessing, of liberally pronouncing God's good onto his creation? Christian theologian Miroslav Volf has observed that in our world today, someone who disagrees with me went from being an opponent to be beaten now we think about this person as an enemy to be eliminated. We aren't just trying to make a point or just trying to win an argument any, anymore. We're essentially trying to get rid of somebody. We're writing someone's name on a curse tablet and we're hoping that we don't have to interact with them ever again. We used to just disagree about things, but now we divide. And you might hear this and think, yeah, that's a problem. And you might think that I'm not talking about you. You might not think that your political allegiances or passions have compromised your commitment to treating people the way Jesus did. But I think that this applies to all of us in one way or another. Here's a litmus test. Here's a, here's a way to tell if you're about to divide yourself from someone else. If you ever find yourself saying this phrase or starting a statement with, I don't care what anybody says. Have you heard people say this? I don't care what anybody says. I'm speaking my mind. I don't care what anybody says. I'm never going to whatever. I've heard people say this. I've heard people in the church say this when they're ready to stop talking about somebody. I don't care what anyone says. That's just how I feel. That's the end of it. This phrase is used pretty lightly, but I think that the first part of this statement is really telling. The part that says, I don't care. I don't have to care. I don't have to consider you. I don't have to bless you. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to tolerate your feelings, your thoughts, your weird perspectives. I choose to separate from you. I choose division over blessing, over love, over patience, kindness, gentleness. This is a problem. What happened to blessing people? How do we get so far off track? The thing I think we need to realize is how much division dehumanizes people. Genesis gave us our marching orders from God, our creator. We saw this last week. We, we should work together and we need to be a blessing to others. But as you read on in the book of Genesis, you find that the majority of the rest of the book is people getting it wrong. I want you to listen to this account of what happened between the first set of brothers, Cain and Abel. This is Genesis chapter four. It says, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So Cain is mad and he's jealous with his brother Abel. And he's so mad that he decides he's going to take away his very humanity. I don't want to work with you anymore. I don't want to have to deal with you anymore. I don't even want to see your face anymore. Takes matters into his own hands. Jesus tells us that we do the same thing when we hate someone. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And the rest of the story of Genesis is just a catalog of division. God sends a flood on the earth because he saw that every inclination of the human thought was only evil all the time. And then we see that enmity developed between Abraham's wives, Sarah and Hagar, so that Abraham's son Ishmael is sent away once his other son Isaac is born. And then Ishmael would not be part of the family anymore. He wouldn't get to share in the inheritance. Next, we've got twin brothers Jacob and Esau. They're always in competition with each other for their parents' love. And then Esau foolishly sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup. Later on, Jacob tricks his blind father into giving him the blessing that was supposed to go to his brother Esau. And Esau gets so mad when he finds this out that he vows to kill Jacob, now driving him away from their home. And then Jacob, he has 12 sons, and he plays favorites with his son Joseph. And the other brothers are all jealous of him. So they come up with a plan to kill him. But then they realize, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Killing our brother, that's not the right thing to do. We shouldn't do that. Instead, we should make our father think he's dead and sell him to slave traders. Yes! Cha-ching! We're going to cash in on this. It's pretty bleak, right? You might be thinking, okay, so these pillars of faith from the Bible, they couldn't figure out the call to be a blessing to others. It's even harder in our world today to live it out when it's just easier than ever to split from other people. How am I supposed to do this? The answer is we do this with Jesus. Jesus is the one who shows us how to love and care for even the arrogant, the proud, and the power hungry, but also the poor, the broken, the lost, and the foolish. How to love the stranger, the alien, the widow, the orphan, the forgotten. He teaches us how to love our opponents and even how to love our enemies. Jesus is a model for regaining our identity as God's ambassadors of blessing. No one will unite us to this purpose better than King Jesus. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob or Joseph, not Donald Trump, not Joe Biden, not Jacob, not you. Jesus came to restore what humans in Genesis got so wrong so quickly. He does the opposite of what Cain did. He doesn't take away life. He gives his own life as a ransom for everyone, even the dehumanizers. So as we've seen, the book of Genesis has a lot of failures in it, but it ends on a hopeful note. It's a note that I think paves the way for the ministry of Jesus generations later. Here's what happens. Joseph's brothers dehumanize him by selling him into slavery. But through a series of ups and downs, Joseph ends up second in command of all of Egypt. He's at the very top of the pyramid. 
And then there's a famine in his homeland, a national crisis. And his brothers are in need, so they come to Egypt looking for help. And they end up right at Joseph's door, now begging for assistance. But they don't know that the man that they're asking for help from is the brother that they wronged. This is what it says. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And that's Jesus. Jesus was dehumanized. He was rejected. He was sold out and he was put in chains. His life was taken from him. But by the hand of God, he rose to power. And then he didn't use his power for his own glory or personal pleasure or take revenge on those who wronged him. Instead, we see that Jesus continued to save lives to bless and not curse. And we, we're kind of like Joseph's brothers. We're in a time of crisis. And we bow down before the throne of God, having no other options, having no excuse, recognizing that we have done wrong, that we've dehumanized others by dividing ourselves from them, by speaking curses instead of blessings. And Jesus tells us, come close to me. Don't be distressed. There's work for you to do. And it involves those people that I've asked you to care about from the very beginning. So I want you to, to dream with me a little bit this morning. What would it look like if we cursed less and we blessed more? What if we replaced our, I don't care what anybody says, with a genuine desire for God's good in their life? What if we bless them with the dignity they deserve and have a conversation with someone who's on the opposite side of our political or social views? This person may seem like your opponent, but they don't have to be your enemy. I came across a great example of this uh, in the form of my friends Doug and Jen. Some of you know them. I want you to take a look at this video that they put together. So Doug and I met sometime when I was in middle school. Um, and it was because we did a Christmas play together at Tri-Valley Church. I met Jennifer when I was 13 but really started hanging out with her when I was 15 at the Church of Christ, spending a lot of time at their house. He was really awesome and I could see us being friends and not sure how long we would be friends for, but I just knew that I wanted to be his friend because we had so much fun together. Yeah, that's how we became friends and our friendship is very, very strong. Doug and I definitely disagree on things. A lot of little things. For lack of a better term, I guess I would say that I tend to be on the more liberal side and Doug tends to be on the more conservative side. On the bigger issues, we don't seem to be too far off from each other. We just seem to disagree on maybe the approach. We definitely disagree about Trump, but um, I would say in general, um, when it comes to people and the betterment of people and making sure that people are being treated fairly, Doug and I almost always agree on that. It's just how we get there that we tend to um, have differences of opinion on. So she's seeing something from a completely different light than I am and through her experiences and the people that she talks to, and I do the same. We both want to see something good happen. Um, however, we tend to come at it from different angles. 
Um, and a lot of that is just based on how we were raised, decisions that we've made, influences that we've had as we've grown older and lived in different places and experienced different parts of the country. The disagreements are never too bad, but I believe it's because we do communicate so well and because we do listen to each other. So when it's Jennifer's turn to talk and she's telling me her opinion, I don't listen to find out, okay, that, that, that's it, that's where, we're, that's where she's wrong. Or, oh, that's where we disagree. We go, we, I gotta let her know, I gotta, gotta educate her, gotta teach her how it is. And I never feel that way. When she's talking, I just listen to hear. And I listen to understand what she's saying and where she's coming from with her point of view, whether it's different than mine or not. We definitely have things that we just disagree on, but I just, I think it tends to be more um, the path that we would take to get to a better outcome that we tend to have different, different differences of opinion on. When I want to talk to Doug about maybe like a divisive topic or something that's going on in the world that's hard to talk about, um, I want to talk to him about it because I know he's going to be, he's going to approach it from a different perspective than I am. And I, I want to know what he thinks about it and I want to know what he feels about it and I want to know why or how he got to that, that thought process or that decision. Communication needs to happen. We need to talk. We need to disagree. We need to have the freedom and ability to have a conversation, disagree, and still walk away with respect for each other. I do think it's important for people to understand that my experience is not going to be your experience and your experience is not going to be mine. And while we might have similar experiences or similar things that happen in our lives, we could still walk away with completely different perspectives and a completely different take on how to interpret that experience and what it means to us. So even though Doug and I disagree on political things or we disagree on social things or we disagree on how the country should be run, um, that doesn't change who Doug is as a person and that doesn't define him as a person either. I don't think we'll ever make progress if we're not willing to listen to each other and to work together. I think this is a great way to do so. I would encourage people to find um, people that are not like-minded, people that see things differently and in a safe and fun environment, have those conversations so that when you go out in the world and it might not be someone that you are as close with or know as well, you can still employ those techniques and still be an effective communicator and in my opinion really start to make a change. God didn't make us all like each other for a reason. He made us to be all different parts so that we work in one body together. But you can't have a body without eyes and you can't have a body without ears and you can't have a body without a nose. But they all have different functions and they all do different things. Um, and the body wouldn't work without them. So my friendship with Doug is beautiful because it's different. Um, and he and through it, I've learned how to listen to people and hear their stories and love them for who they are and not just what their beliefs are or their political beliefs or their religious beliefs. So Doug and Jan have diverse political and social views, but they made a commitment to love each other first, which means that they're gonna hear each other out. Sometimes they hear a perspective they hadn't considered before. Sometimes they don't, but they always begin and end with love and relationship, which is, I think, what we are called to do as citizens of God's one kingdom. And so I challenge you to try this out sometime this week. 
Instead of saying, I don't care what anybody says, let's say, I love you, but I don't think I agree. I love you, but I don't think I agree. This is a great statement. One thing that's great about it is that the I love you is first. That's, we make that commitment to Jesus first in our life, so it's this reminder, we're gonna put love first. After all, Jesus said the two greatest commandments are love God, love people. The second cool thing about it is you say, I don't think I agree. It leaves room for you to have misunderstood them. And even if you did understand them, it opens the door for more understanding and conversation. It's not a slam door. It's not, I love you, but you're wrong. It's, I love you, but I'm not sure that we agree on something. I wanna encourage you this morning, church. Let's have differences and not divisions. Let's have conversation and not condemnation. Like we did last week, I wanna close us out with a prayer of confession. So I wanna invite you to join me in this prayer. Once again, Lord Jesus Christ, I face the power of apathy. Against the torrent of oblivion, I plead the blood of Jesus. When the day stretches out before me and I am tempted to despair, encourage my soul through rhythms of prayer and work. When I imagine my life would be easier if only I were someplace else, help me not to flee, but to trust your grace in this place. When I lack attentive care for my neighbor, remind me how you lay down your life for me when I was still an enemy. Deliver me from apathy that I might greet that of you in every person and know the place where I am standing to be holy ground. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner.